May we please turn to Romans chapter 12. And if you're using the church Bible, it's page 1139. 1139. Romans chapter 12 and taking up the reading at verse 9. And try to think and spot the theme of the sermon even before it comes about um, involvement as it is anticipated in this letter to the church in Rome. So, Romans chapter 12 and verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. But be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're beginning a series now on, um, and if you've picked up the program, hopefully you'll have seen that we've got um, six uh, topical sermons on priorities in an aimless world, and we're looking at uh, tonight at involvement. Uh, are we prepared to be involved, particularly in the context of church life? And to what extent and so forth. And then we're looking at integrity, leisure, attitude, holiness and money. And how we see these things that we have um, and how we have priorities that reflect all of that. So tonight that's our um, brief as we think about priorities in a nameless world. And now we're thinking about involvement. It's proverbial, and uh, I want to give the full quote, but often you'll hear people say, in given situations, well, of course, no man is an island. And by that, people mean that um, no person is entirely on their own. There are always implications 
But the quote from John Donne runs like this. No man is an island entirely of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never sent to know for whom the death bell tolls. It tolls for thee and it tolls for me. None of us can contract out of some degree of involvement. So we're involved. Whether we like it or not, we're part of this particular history of the world. But how much should we be involved with each other as a community of believing people? By that, not so much... Um, well, there's a danger, first of all, some churches have a sort of a rigid exclusivity that their involvement is only for the people who affirm and believe only the things that they do. And most, even albeit sincere people like that, ultimately will peter out by definition because of their lack of involvement with people beyond their circle. Nevertheless, the church implies a relational involvement. That our involvement isn't because we come to church or that we are Baptists or that we are evangelicals. Those things are part of it. But our involvement is because we've committed our lives to Jesus Christ and therefore we interact and we're involved with people who share the same Lord and the same values and the same destiny. I wonder how many of you will remember uh, the lyrics of a long time ago as I do um, we are one in the spirit we are one in the Lord and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know we are Christians by our love and that rings with authenticity with what Jesus said a new command I give you love one another as I've loved you well those words are often on my lips, but how much are they in my life, particularly with people I would rather not be involved with? Perhaps a more down-to-earth chorus that the author, which is unknown, um, runs like this. To dwell above with the saints we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with the saints we know, it's another story. It is another story. I wonder who you're thinking about when uh, somebody might be thinking about you. Well, you see, you are going to be involved. I know of people who will never come to church meetings and never take on church membership for this reason, that they've been badly hurt and they're not going to get involved again. And there are many people in various areas of life, secular and sacred, who having been so hurt that their involvement now is somewhat distanced. One might have a sympathy that Christian people should behave in a more Christian way, but we can't protect ourselves completely from the hurts and slings and arrows of misfortune within the church or without. At best, we are saved sinners. 
So tonight what I want us to think about is how we are involved with each other and how much we are prepared to do that. And I suppose you form your own conclusions how much you are not prepared to do that. Involvement. Throughout history, no church has better modeled involvement than the one that Kathy read to us during um, the worship in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, 47. And we'll perhaps come to that in a moment. What is this church? Well, you know, on the day of Pentecost, they filled with the Spirit, they confessed Christ as Lord, were baptized, and they were added to the church, which in embryo always is the reference point of what we do in any church at any time, whatever our traditions. Those are the, lie at the very core, the very essence of what it is to be church. So we are drawn to, to, together by a common commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord. And as a consequence of that, our commitment to him is not a private love affair, but a public expression of worship and service and, and, and involvement. So, we are forged together, therefore, by a mutual commitment to one another. Just think of the L-ship, the, the, the vertical and the horizontal. And, and it's not wrong to say that the test of that is the test of this. And, and, and if we, we keep Jesus at arm's length, it's not altogether surprising. We keep our fellow believers at arm's length. So for a moment, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We've not got too many references, just to see, um, just to read this and see what it has to say to us. Acts 2.42, there we are, we are drawn together. By a common commitment to Christ, we are forged together by a mutual commitment to one another. It's his church, it's not mine, and it's not yours. And whoever the Lord draws in, then they are the people whom we embrace in Jesus Christ. So fellowship, there it is, uh, as it's mentioned in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. In essence, that's what we're going to do here in a moment. And, and the word there, koinonia, means involvement. By definition, you can't have fellowship without being involved. In other words, this involvement is the absence of the island mentality. No man is an island. For example, look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. So this koinonia, this involvement, is a powerful expression of the gospel. Now notice, this involvement comes in two ways. Stay with this church for a moment, and then we'll come back to uh, Romans 12. This involvement comes in two ways. First, it's shared with someone. A sharing with someone. The context here, obviously, is a fellow believer, he or she, whoever they are. Look at verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. 
Now, the fact that it's been misunderstood and misapplied still doesn't negate the challenge of involvement. So it's personal. And in our fellowship and in our involvement, and this is why it's such a bigger challenge for us, it's personal. The second thing about this involvement is that it's shared not just with someone, but in something. It is very practical. If our church life is only to do with what we do here and go home and have another week and just come back, it's rather poor, isn't it? It's a tangible thing. It's a practical thing. It's not just words. It's not just sentiment, sincerely said and meant. But it's personal and it's practical. Just by way of challenge, um, this you'll see every day they continue to meet together or selling their possessions, praising God and so forth. It, it, is, it is interesting that uh, when you, if you were to turn over one page um, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, it, it wasn't that they just gave up all their money and let somebody else do it. That when there was a particular need, the believers sharing their possessions, look at, here is Joseph, verse 36, Acts chapter 4, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money to the feet of the apostles, the apostles' feet. Maybe it was a building fund, the one that we're talking about. But the point is this, they didn't give all their money away, because if they did, where would the field come from? You know, some people have said, well, you know, the, the only way to understand this is, is give up everything. Not so. Okay, so it's shared with someone, it's personal, sharing in something, it's practical, and it's tangible. So we've tried just very briefly to answer this simple question um, from Acts 2, how we relate in our involvement. These are just some simple examples, and I'm not going to amplify those. How we relate in our involvement as an example from Acts chapter 2. But now come to Acts 12, 9 to 16, and I want to pose a second question and at least try to uh, answer that and probe a bit further. So we've tried to say um, how we relate in our involvement from Acts 2. Now, why we risk... Involvement with people. Why take the risk? Why take the risk? I wonder how you answer that. Risk being involved, being drawn in. Well, let's try to answer this in two ways, very simply and not too long. The first is this, that God's word commands it. That's the first thing. Any person who has, has even a superficial view of God's word, much less a high one that we would have, you would know that it's incumbent upon us that we have to respond to this. We risk involvement personally because God's word commands it. And we have a, an example here in, come back to Romans 12 and um, verse 9. Verse 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The church is not a club. 
of fully paid up members. Or a mutual society of people who have certain interests. I guess one of the wonderful things and the incredibly challenging things about a church is this, that we are such a diverse group of people and apart from the grace of God, we wouldn't particularly have much to do with each other. Some might, but most wouldn't. That's the genius of the church, but it's also the challenge of the church. It is not a club. But it is a fellowship of people where Christ is central. And as we gravitate towards him, so we are committed to one another. Put it like this, very simply. Tonight you profess Jesus Christ, if you do. Then he received you. Then you receive one another. You receive me. Well, he's forgiven you. Well, then, you better be sure that you forgive. He loves you. Then you love one another. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. And something happens by this. Outside of the walls of the church, all people will know that you are my disciples. A relational Evangelism. Put it even more simply. Christ died on a cross. Not with folded arms behind his back. But with arms outstretched. To embrace. And to reconcile. And so God's word commands that we need to be like that. Don't you remember the way Wesley put it in that hymn? Oh, that the world might taste and see. But how are they? The riches of his grace, these arms of love that encompass me. If I am enveloped by his love, would all mankind embrace? How? Well, by the way, we obey his command to love one another. And if you know anything about it, you will know that there are times when it is not easy. It is far easier to cross over the other side and don't get involved. Just turn over a page to Romans 15 and verse 7. Here you have it perhaps in an even more specific way. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Why should I? In order to bring praise to God. And that praise that overflows in our wider relationships. Accept one another then, as he accepted you. Love one another then, as he loved you. That's that's the simple imperative of God's word. He commands it. So when you come back to Romans 12, look at verse 15. Whatever else you make of this, you would have to say that this is not a superficial thing. 
You can choose to be, if you like, not to get involved. But there it is. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud in your relationships with one another. But be willing to associate the people of low position. Do not be conceited. It is not a superficial or a selective involvement. Do you see that? That's the first thing. And the second thing, as we're thinking about uh, involvement, is this. The church is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ needs it. The body of Christ needs personal involvement. It cannot function. It, there will be spiritual rigor mortis if we do not have personal involvement. So, we read on. Look at verse 17, Romans 12 to 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. This is not the counterculture. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Now, look at this. It's as if Paul says, I, I tell you this is not easy. Try it and see. You know, look, if it is possible, sometimes it isn't. You see, here's a dictum, that I'll digress, not the notes. Most of us are like the rest of us. I've lived by that. And it's true. The things that trouble you often will trouble other people. It's quite a simple thing, really, in varying degrees, of course. So what is Paul saying here? Here it is. Look, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But it is an almighty challenge if you get involved. If you don't get involved, it's not a big deal at all. It's not a problem. It's okay. Get involved and you'll know all about it. Yes, we, I hope, we love and we value and we affirm one another. But this is the point that we have here. We need each other. We need each other. So whatever else you do at the Lord's table tonight, I would hope that if it's true of you, then you personally repent of such an independent spirit that you say, I'm all right, Jack. I'm only concerned about my family. I only get upset when they're upset. As for you, well, there you are. That is an island mentality. It is ungodly and unspiritual. There is an exclusive attitude that grieves the spirit. We need each other. Why do I say this? Just turn to um, 1 Corinthians 12. Just to see this illustrated so clearly and simply. Uh, page 1153 in the church Bible. 1 Corinthians 12. This is such a, a, a lovely picture now of the body of Christ, the church. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. 
For we're all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all given the one, say, the one spirit to drink. Now, the body is made, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now let's suppose the foot is talking or the, so on, okay? There's this. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, as we read on, look, spot the word need. Okay? Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, exclamation. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And so on and so forth. And so there's this sort of thing, I don't need you. Well, of course, it's ridiculous. You do. And it's a, it's a spiritual example here that the body needs involvement in order to function, interrelating. Let me then give two reasons why this is the case. The first, this involvement is a correct, it is to correct division. If you, if you see that reference again, 12 verse 25. Why is this? Let's have a look at it. Um, you, you do all this, there it is, so that there should be no division, actually friction, in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. That's how our natural physical body works. Well, that's how the spiritual body should work. We need each other to correct that division. Involvement prevents favoritism and cliques and preferences. It mends fractures and it heals divisions. That's why. But secondly, if you stay in 1 Corinthians 12, reading the next two verses, 26 and 27, yes, it will correct division, but it will cultivate love. Real Authentic Christ-likeness. So verse 26. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, what a statement. You, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it body of Christ needs you and needs your unique and distinctive involvement. Involvement like this allows us to both suffer 
and rejoice with each other and for each other. And this kind of involvement is a sign of health and life. Come back to Romans 12 as we try to round this off. Romans 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It, it, is, it is a sign of something profoundly Christ-like. That whilst I have my unique difficulties, I, am, I have an empathy for my fellow brother and sister. It is a sign of health and life and growth. Of course, the classic is Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is the source of many sermons, isn't it? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Can I change that or add to it? This is your spiritual act of involvement. And, you say, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Somebody is going to be involved. What's in it for me? I'm going to be involved. What's in it for my fellow brother and sister? So let me give three words as we conclude. Healthy involvement then includes spontaneity. I, I don't think necessarily we need to be overly calculating. You see, it's the risk. Uh, you're going to be involved and you, you don't quite know. Now, I'm not talking about getting overly involved so that you don't, you're no longer helping or, and, and need to be open about. But nevertheless, the spontaneity is the idea of being voluntary, not being co voluntarily, not being coerced, not contrived, but out of need. You pick up the phone. Out of need, you send an email. Out of need, you call. Sometimes you feel you should do that and you call with someone and they don't want your help. You have to live with that. Nevertheless, this idea of spontaneity is, is a practical thing. It's a personal thing. And it's a Christ-like thing to do. Being involved. It was a horrifying thing under the Thatcher government when they changed putting patients, particularly with mental health problems, back out into the community only to discover there was no community. And whatever the faults of institutions, people were left out in the streets. But if you're part of a fellowship community, which is made up of saved sinners, then we surely must be allowed to make mistakes along the way without people shooting us, without people criticizing us. Secondly, we must be, if you're going to do this, 
And it might be a big ask, okay. But if you're going to do it, you need to realize this. You are going to be vulnerable. It's just a sentence I give you. It, It literally means capable of being wounded. Open to attack. You're vulnerable. And it may be that we are not involved because we've been hurt before by what people have said to us or about us or the way people have uh, rejected us or the way the church has failed us. And lastly, whatever else, involvement gives you a sense of accountability. Accountability. That's why I think that church membership is important. It makes you accountable. With all of the faults of any system that is made up of people. We are imperfect. And yet, as we are involved in home groups, for instance, where it can be sometimes quite irritating and frustrating, best not get involved. Well, I think for some people that's probably true. It's just how you are. But if, if you're not involved in anything other than what you choose to be, then I think your spiritual life will be impaired in some way. You have to take the risk. It's the calling that we have to take God's word seriously. And it's the need that we have to build up the body of Christ. I hope that this will be a priority for us and that our involvement will be a blessing to others and a source of encouragement to ourselves.